In his commentary to the Haggadah, the Rebbe referenced many different sources from the vast library of Judaism, but three stand out from a bibliographic perspective. Three references to the first dated printed edition of the Haggadah. Join us as we learn more about this edition, its historical context, and how the Rebbe used it to sort out some of the more famous questions relating to the Manashtana, Dayenu, and the wisdom of the wise son. Tafshin Vav, 1946, the Rebbe released his Haggadah Shal Pesach. It uh, was first released without the text of the Haggadah, it was just a, the comments. Later, in years after, it was placed, they placed the text of the Haggadah on top of it and they placed the Rebbe's comments below it as a commentary. In this commentary, in this uh, Haggadah of the Rebbe, there is a lot, there's a lot there. And we're going to tonight focus on one interesting aspect. And that is, there are three instances where the Rebbe turns to and alludes to and mentions by name the first printing of the Haggadah. So we're going to do a deep dive into those three instances. And that's going to also lead us into exploring which Haggadah the Rebbe is referring to and perhaps notice a few interesting things along the way. So first up is when we come to the four questions. It's well known that there are different versions of the four questions. Today it's often said there's the Chabad way and the way the Welt does it and the way the world does it. Um, so let's explore where this comes from. So if you open up your standard Gemara to Psachim Dav Kuf Tezayin Amir Aleph, you will find over there the Mishnah, it, lists, it has the Mishnah, and it's listing there in the Mishnah the four questions. And the first question is, all night we eat chametz and matzah. The second question is, The third question is about uh, roasted meat, which we're going to ignore for the purposes of tonight. And the fourth and final question in the Mishnah is about <coughs> dipping in uh, two times. All year, there is no obligation to dip in even once. The Rebbe once by a Fabrengen and Tavshem Amalov spoke about the fact that there is an obligation to dip bread into salt, but that's not real halachic tibul. Halachic tibul is when you dip something into, into a moisture that therefore mandates netilas yadayim, or at least makes a shayla of netilas yadayim. That's called tibul. So challah uh, and bread in, in salt doesn't count for that. And Rosh Hashanah, tibul in the dvash, it's not mamish a minig kavua. Some people do it, some people don't do it. It's not an established minig, it's definitely not mentioned in the Gemara. And uh, so therefore we can say all nights there's no dipping Whereas on the night of Pesach, there's two dips. This is the final question. The order here has a certain coherence. The order here goes from Doiraisa, Matzah Bismanazeh is Doiraisa, Morer Bismanazeh is, we assume, is Dirabanan, and the dipping is only uh, in the category of a meaning. So the Seder over here makes a lot of sense. Uh, however, when we look at the Alter Rebbe Siddur, and that it includes our Haggadah Shal Pesach, we find a different order. As the Rebbe points out in his Haggadah on page Yud Gimel, Matbilin is the first question, Matzah is the second question, Marer is the third question, and Mesubin, reclining, is the final question. Now what we need to focus on is the fact that here, Matbilin, rather than coming after Matzah, comes before Matzah. That really is our focus uh, over here. 
And the Rebbe says, so Hayatachin, where does this come from? So the answer is, Beseder Zeh, the Rebbe writes, Hu B'Mishneh Sheh B'Yerushalmi. We know that when you open a Talmud Bible, you have the Mishnah presented on the Daf. You open a Yerushalmi, you have the same Mishnah over there. But sometimes there are variations between how the Mishnah was transmitted in the Yerushalmi versus how it was transmitted in the Bavli. If you look at the Yerushalmi, you'll find that the first question is actually on Matbilin. Then the Rebbe goes further and quotes the Rif and the Rosh. So the Rif wrote a summary of the Talmud Bavli, not of the Yerushalmi, and the Rosh as well writes the Piskei Dinim in the Talmud Bavli, and over there as well, they have the Shaila of Tibul before the Shaila of Chametz Matzah. Now what does that immediately tell you? They weren't following Yerushalmi traditions, they were writing a commentary on the Bavli. Immediately that tells you that not only do you have a Yerushalmi way of reading the Mishnah, but in fact within the Bavli itself, there are different traditions of what this Mishnah was supposed to be. In fact, if you go to this different Kisrayat, today we have easy access to them. So I checked 10 different manuscripts of the Gemara from the 1200s, the 1300s, the 1400s. Of these 10 different manuscripts of the Talmud Bavli, six of them, Taka, had the Seder of Matbilin as the first question, and the other four of them had Chometz, excuse me, Matzah as the first question. So in other words, within the tradition of the Talmud Bavli, there were variations in how this was supposed to, uh, this was supposed to happen. Uh, there's also uh, a few Kisviyad, not many, of the entire Mishnah, just Mishnah without Gemara. I think there are three such Kisviyad. One of them is known as the Kaufman Manuscript. That's because it's named after the collector, whose name was Kaufman, and it's in Budapest. So this Mishnah, it's very old. They think this manuscript comes from the 900s. So there also, if you look in Pesachim, you'll find that the first question is, Matbilin is question number one, and Chametz and Matzah becomes question number two. The Rebbe continues and quotes other sources that have this order. Siddur of Amram Goin. Rav Amram Goin is the Siddur we spoke about in a previous class. So the Rebbe notes that in the manuscript in the British Museum, that's because as follows. The standard Siddur of Amram Goin that was available when the Rebbe was writing this Pirush, the standard one, had the order Chametz, uh, Matzah and Chametz first, and Matbilin was after. However, in the manuscript that was in the British Museum, and this was noted, in other words, people knew about it, even though they didn't have access to this manuscript, but in, in, the, in the standard editions, they wrote in footnotes, oh, by the way, in another edition, it's the other way around. So the Rebbe is counting that as another uh, source. And then the Rebbe says, Siddur of Sadia going, he also wrote a Siddur there also, it's in this order. And then the Rambam is also in this order. In fact, the Rambam is two times, once in the Halachis, and then he gives the Seder of the Agoda afterwards, and there as well, it follows this order. And so therefore, all of a sudden, rather than saying, oh, you're going against the Bavli, because we don't really want want to be in a position where we're doing something that's against the Bavli. Generally speaking, we're supposed to follow the things that are in the Talmud Bavli. Uh, but suddenly we realize this Nishtazai Pashat. You wouldn't have had all these people um, uh, having a version that goes against the Talmud Bavli. Obviously there were other versions and as I said before, indeed, if you look at the manuscripts, you see there were other versions. And then the Rebbe adds the line that we're looking for, and that is, Indeed, in the first Haggadah, that was printed, and he gives the, t the place and the day and the year, Sansino, 1485, and this Haggadah, is this, it follows this order of Matbilin as the first question, followed by the question about Chometz and Matzah. So we're going to want to take a closer look at what this Haggadah from Sansino in 1485 is, but we're not going to do that just yet. We'll come back to that later to have a look at it. The Rebbe continues and explains as follows. The order that we have, that the Alter Rebbe has, is consistent with the chronology of the Seder. 
Why? What's the first thing we do? The first thing we do is tibble, karpas. Although we don't do the second ones come later with the mar, but the first one, which is all about getting the children to ask, what's the only real reason we're dipping in the karpas into salt water? It's so that the children are going to ask questions, and that's what this is all about. This is about questions. So therefore, it makes sense to start off with um, th that tibble. Uh, it becomes uh, the first question. Matzah comes later. Marer becomes later. Then you're left with the question, if it's about the chronology, what about Mesubin? Mesubin is reclining, and reclining you do even before Karpas, right when you have the first cup. So the Rebbe asks that question, and the Rebbe says, We take Mesubin out of the chronology. Why? Because that question was added a long time after the previous three questions. When was that? When they stopped reclining all year. In other words, it was once a time, every person all the time was always reclining, so it wasn't unusual. When this became not normal, and we retained this for Pesach, so then it turned into a question. That there, it's not mentioned in Shas, it's not mentioned in the Gemara, and so therefore that happened a lot later. So when they added it, they weren't going to mess up the order, and so they put it at the end. And that's why it's not in the Mishnah and the Gemara. Who is the source for this explanation about why Mesubin is at the end? That comes from the Gra. The Rebbe asks a question on this Gra, but we're not going to concern ourselves with that now because it's not our focus, so we're going to skip that. Therefore, all opinions agree that that's going to be the last one, meaning whether you follow the traditional Veltish way of saying Manashtana or whether you follow the Alter Rebbe's way of doing it, uh, it's going to come at the end. And then the Rebbe concludes his comment by saying, relevant for our purposes, that if you look al-pi Kabbalah in the, in the Kisvei Arizal, meaning in the Priyetz Chaim, it explains that Matbilin, uh, Matzah, Marer, Mesubin, correspond beautifully with Momata Lamaila, going from low, from the lowest world to the highest world, namely from Asiya, Asiya is Matbilin, and, Bri, and Yetzira, excuse me, Asiya is Matbilin, Yetzira is Matzah, and Bria is Marer, and Atsilos is Misubin. Not that there's any reclining in, not that there's any reclining, yeah, you start from the lowest world to the highest world. So Atsilos is the highest world, and that corresponds to the question of Matbilin, excuse me, Misubin. Not that there's any Misubin in Atsilos, uh, reclining, which reminds me, there's a Maisa that Rabbi Zevin brings in his Sipur Echsidim, he brings it about one of the Sadikim, I don't remember which one, that he was once saying, Torah by Shalashudas, and he started coughing. He was talking about Atzilos. And he was coughing. So his son brought over a cup of tea. So he said to his son, he doesn't want to drink the tea. And he said, in Atzilos is nishtokein te. There's no tea in Atzilos. Okay. He's continuing to cough. So his son again offers him tea. He refuses again. In Atzilos is no tea. Now it gets really bad. And he's coughing. And no one can really even understand what he's saying. So his son tries again and says, how about some tea? So he says, in Atzilos there is no tea. So his son said, in Atzilos there's no coughing either. <laughs> anyway. So there's no essay by Natsilas, but whatever the spiritual, I tried to check up the Priyaz Chaim to see what it says there. It was a very difficult passage to understand exactly what it meant, and so we're going to leave that alone. Ad Khan, we see what? This is the first instance in the Haggadah. The Rebbe refers to the Sansino 1485 edition of the Haggadah Shal Pesach, which he calls the first printing. We will return to that after we see the second, then we'll analyze this a little more closely. Okay, the second part requires a little bit of an introduction. And that brings us back to Rabbi Emanuel Chai Riki. We spoke about him a few weeks ago when we spoke about the Tzimtzum Kimshutoi. Uh, his name came up then. Uh, he authored a sefer called Mishnas Chasidim. He was a, an Italian Mikubal, 1688, his birth date. 
1743 is when he passed away. And on his, in his Mishnah Chassidim, when he talks about the Piyot of Dayenu, he writes like this, There are 15 Dayenus. And that corresponds to Misbar Yudke, which is the first two letters of Hashem's name. It's also treated as a name of Hashem for itself. And according to Kabbalah, this has deep significance, because the Yud represents the Sphere of Chachma. And the He represents the Sphere of Bina, otherwise known as Ava Aim. In other words, like this, in the intellectual sphere, Chachma is the initial flash of uh, creative energy, and Bina is the analysis of it. In the procreative sphere, uh, Chachma is the male seed, and Bina is the pregnancy that develops and, and, and fully, fully develops the, the fetus. So these represent, Lamaila, these represent two types of powers. One is the Yud, that's the Chachma. He is the Bina. The gematry of Yud and He is Tesvav. And so beautiful, that's Dayenu. So if you learn about what Dayenu really is on a very deep level, you'll come to an understanding that it corresponds to Chachma and Bina, to Yud and to He, and to this name of Hashem. There's only one problem. As the Rebbe notes uh, in his Agadah on page Chavches, If you look, if you count how many times it says the word Dayenu by us, you're going to find that there's only 14 uh, Dayenus. So what are we going to do? He says there's 15. What are you going to do? There's only going to be 14. So the Rebbe suggests a tentative answer. What's the tentative answer? The tentative answer will come, the Rebbe doesn't cite this Ritva, but, all, but this Ritva really personifies this answer. Let's look what the Ritva has to say in his commentary on the Haggadah. Look what he says. This is how the Piyot of Dayenu starts off. It begins with these words. How many Mailas Toivos from God Aleinu on us? Which means, Kaloimar, what does this mean? Sha'asa Aleinu Visam Banu. He made for us and placed into us how many great things? Okay. How many things? How many great things are in that list? So the answer is 15. They're attack of 15. In other words, like this, let's remember what's happening here. You have, if you count Alachas Kama Vakama, you count through that whole list. There's 15 favors. There's 15. Starting with Shoitzionim in Mitzrayim, Ve Asabam Shvatim. If you count it all the way to the end, and he made the base Habchira, Lechaper, Al Kalavainisenu, there's 15. What happens is that when it's structured in the Dayenu, so the first, clo- the first stanza is, Ilu Hoitzionim in Mitzrayim, Veloy Asabam Shvatim Dayenu. So that's the first two are in the in, in that first uh, clause, in that first stanza. And so what happens is that if you count the Dayenus, how many times you're saying, if we wouldn't have had that, it would have been enough. There's only 14 Dayenus. But if you count the Milois, the actual benefits, there you'll see uh, that there are 15. So here you see that the Ritva is not talking about the word Dayenu. He's talking about the Milois Toivis. And he says, there are 15. And he says the significance, just like Emmanuel Chayriki, just like the Mishnah Chassidim. He, he links it to Shem Yudke, which is the Pasuk, Yudke Tzura Elamim. So he, he, he links it to that name of Hashem. And then he finds other areas in Yiddishkeit or in the Torah where the number 15 takes on significance. And he brings three examples. Number one is the eastern wall of the Mishkan, where you would enter from. So there couldn't have been a continuous curtain, because then how are you going to get in? So how was it structured? So the Torah says, you had 15 ama closed up by one curtain, 15 ama closed up by another curtain, and then you had a gap in the middle, and then pushed back, you had another curtain, and like this you would go in from the side. So he looks at those shoulders, it's called. The shoulders that are 15 ama, he sees, oh, that's significant, the number 15 in the Mishkan. That's number one. Then he says another example. If you look at Tehillim, we find Shir Hamalois, 
15 times you have the concept of Shir Hamalos, where a capital Tilim starts with Shir Hamalos. And then number three, in the base Amikdosh, you had 15 steps, Tesvav Mailos, that were between the Ezras Nashim and the Ezras Yisrael. And those 15 steps are also significant. All of these instances of 15, they're not random, they're all exact, they're all representing something deep and something profound. And all of this, again, if you understood Dayenu really well, you understood what Dayenu was all about, you would see the link between all of these things. So now, this would be, would be a possible answer. Then when he says this Tesvav Dayenus, he doesn't mean the Dayenu part, doesn't mean the stanzas of the Dayenu poem, of which there are 14, each is, which culminates with the words of Dayenu. What he means is, how many Milas Tavis do you have mentioned in the whole piyot? There you talk, I have 15. The only problem is, the Rebbe says, You could say it as a Doichik. That instead of focusing on the Dayenu, focus on the Milas. But the Rebbe calls this a Doichik, which means it's not such a Kishmak answer, it's not such a good answer. At the end of the day, he didn't say there's Chamisha Asar Milas, he said there's Chamisha Asar Dayenus. And so therefore, it's a little bit of a problem. The Rebbe continues and says, Oh, I come up with a solution. The Rebbe offers a very interesting solution to untangle the Mishnah Chsidim from this dilemma. The Rebbe cites an earlier Poisik, the Shibale Haleka to Reb Tzitkiah HaRoifa, Minho Anovim. This is a, the family, is a very Chashva famous family in Italy that were known as the Anovim family. They had a tradition that they came, they were in Italy all the way from the time of the Chorben Bias, and they were very proud of their heritage. And of, among them, you had the Shibale Haleka. We mentioned him a few weeks ago, I believe. And, uh, and look what he does when he talks about the Ilu Hoitzianus, when he talks about the Dayenus, we'll read the Kata in a second, but you'll see, he taka had Tezayin Mailos, not Tezvav Mailos, he had Tezayin Mailos, which means he had 15 uh, stanzas, which means he had 15 Dayenus, in other words, he had an added clause. So let's read inside to see what the extra clause is. Zok Shibali Aleket. If God had taken us into Eretz Yisrael and wouldn't have built for us the base Hamikdash, that would have been Dayenu. That's tremendous love. A Dailanu, that would have been enough. Okay, good. Now that's how our thing ends. We have the word base Abkhira, not base Hamikdash, but that's how our thing ends. However, he continues, after he did both of these things. Number one, to bring us into Eretz Yisrael. And number two, to, bring, to build us the Beis HaMikdosh. What does it mean, this Beis HaMikdosh that we just spoke about? Zehu This is the Mishkan. Shenis Yashev binoi v'givain v'shiloi. The Mishkan, we often think about it as the Mishkan Hamidbar, in the desert. But you have to remember, the Mishkan also lives on in Eretz Yisrael. You didn't come into Eretz Yisrael for the first few hundred years. There's a Mishkan, three places. Noiv, Givoin, and Shiloi. And so, when it says, Beis Hamikdash, if he would have brought us into Eretz Yisrael and wouldn't have built a Beis Hamikdash, that's only referring to the Mishkan. Why am I calling Mishkan Mikdash? Because the Pasuk does in Parshas Truma. It says, Vasuli Mikdash. So if God would have done that, Veloi Banolano is Beis Habchira, and wouldn't have built on top of that the Beis Habchira, which is the Beis Hamikdash that Shloim HaMelech built, and that's called Beis Elamim, and that's called Beis Habchira, the house that God chose. Al Shem HaMakam Asher Yivchar Hashem, the place that God is going to choose, clearly is a reference to... Um, the, the Yerushalayim to the Beis Hamikdash, and once you have the Beis Hamikdash, then there's no heter anymore for Bamas. People can't offer sa- offer sacrifices in lo- locally. So if Hashem would have done that, that would have been enough. 
did all of this. And so how is the ending of the Dayenu Piyot for Shibale Aleket? Ilu Yichnesan Aleret Yisrael and wouldn't have made for us a Mishkan Dayenu. Ilu, if he would have made a Mishkan for us and wouldn't have made for us a Beis HaMikdash, also would have been Dayenu. Now he already addressed, how could you call the first one Mikdash? How could you call Mishkan Mikdash? So he said, what's the problem? Vasuli Mikdash, Shechanti Bezeichem. Clearly he's going on the Mishkan. He then gives another answer. Don't worry. Why is it calling the Mishkan a Beis HaMikdash? Because look in the Gemara in Zvachim, and it describes over there that the Mishkan in Eretz Yisrael was Bayish al-Avonim o-Mata o-Maila. It had regular walls. It had a foundation. And it had regular brick walls or whatever it was made out of. And, the, what, and what made it resemble the Mishkan rather than a proper building is that the roof was made out of the animal hides just like in the Mishkan. So therefore it makes even more sense to call it a Mikdash. Because remember, we're talking about the Mishkan in Eretz Yisrael. We're not talking about the Mishkan in the Midbar. And so therefore this is another reason why the word Mikdash works very well when you want to talk about and designate the Mishkan the way it stood in Eretz Yisrael. And then he says this whole thing I uh, explained based on the commentary that my brother Reb Binyamin gave me. I think last time we spoke about the Shibale Aleket, I think we also quoted from his brother. Oh, once you have this, all of a sudden we have a solution for the Mishnah Chassidim. Why? Because now, as you can tell, we're going to have 15 Dayenus. As the Rebbe notes in the Haggadah, Shuv Matsasi, after realizing this problem for the Mishnah Chassidim, I found, Asher Bishibale Aleket, the Girsa is, and the Girsa, and the Rebbe quotes the Girsa that we just read. And now comes the second time the Rebbe references the first printing of the Haggadah. And he says, This is also in the first printing of the Haggadah Le Pesach, which, if you want to know where it is, it's within the Machser published by the Sansino. You need to know the year, right? Hey, Reish Mem Vav. Hey, Reish Mem Vav corresponds to the year 1486. So there too, they end up having this extra stanza of Dayenu. Now right away you'll notice that the reference here to the first printing of Haggadah is a little different than the reference the first time the Haggadah. The first time he just said, Sansino, 1485. Here he tells you it's part of a machzer. Okay, it's a little more information. Here he uses a Hebrew date rather than an English uh, secular date. And in fact, you have to really wonder right now, 1485 and Reish Memvav, 1485, 1486 is a little bizarre. It's a little bizarre. Obviously you all understand that the first three months of the year, Hey Reish Memvav, is still 1485 until January 1st comes, then it changes over to 1486. But it's still, it's a little bizarre that this happened. And I'm going to warn you now, I don't have a perfect solution for this. I'm going to give you answers that are going to kick the can down the road, but I'm, I don't want to disappoint you at the end. I don't have perfect answers to these questions, as we'll soon see. Okay. But why is this relevant? Now look at the chat that the Rebbe introduces over here. The Rebbe says, okay, what's the common denominator between the Shibale Aleket and this Machser Sansino? Both of them are what? From Italy. Shibale Aleket lived in Italy in the 1200s. This Machser was printed, this Haggadah was printed in Italy in the 1400s. Where was the Mishnah Chassidim from? Where was Emmanuel Chayriki from? He was also from Italy. He lived almost all his life in Italy. I think he moved a little to Eretz Yisrael for a year or two. And everyone in Mishnah Chassidim, he wrote in Italy. 
So therefore, it makes so much sense to say that he would have had a nusach that the Sansinos printed 200 years before him. He would have had a nusach that the Shibale Alekar had a few hundred years before him. So it's very geschmack. The Italians had their own nusach. This is essentially what the Rebbe is connecting the dots over here. And in this way, we resolve the thing. Why does he say 15 Dayenus? Because if you are an Italian Jew, like the Mishnah Chassidim, then indeed, there's a very good chance that you are going to have. As the Rebbe says, sim when you pay attention or you take note of the Fact. lived in Italy. The place of and the place of the Sansino press. So Karlavada, it makes so much sense to say. He agreed with their Nusach, and that's why he wrote that we have here Tes Vov However, the Rebbe ends with a problem. What's the problem? This is a perfect solution for the Mishnah Chassidim. What are you going to do about others? Who are the others? So, there was a Yid by the name of Reb Shapsi Roshkever. Reb Shapsi Roshkever, he already had passed away by 1794, because he lived during the times of the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid. 1794 was his Siddur was published. It's his Siddur, the Kavanis of the Arizal, teachings of the Arizal. It has a Nusach over there of Tefillah as well. And the problem there is, he calls it Tesvav Dayenus. And, and it's very difficult to suggest that a Jew living in Eastern Europe, in Poland, Romania, Russia, that area, he didn't have the Italian Nusuch. He would have to bring evidence to suggest that. So why does he have Tez Vav Dayenus? And so therefore, because well, he uses the words, they're Tez Vav Dayenus. <laughs> so therefore the Rebbe writes, Besidr of Shapsi Roshkever, Tzarechion, Tzarechion, and the Rebbe leaves it like that in the Haggadah. The Rebbe returned to that years later, as we'll see, soon see, but let's continue moving on. Before we get a little closer into analyzing which Haggadah the Rebbe is talking about. I just want to point out that there are at least three additional sources, all from Italian origin, that have this extra line of the, uh, that have this extra line of the, of the Dayenu. I'll just show you one particular source. This is a man by the name of Rabbi Eliezer Nachman of Foa. And he uh, uh, had his Pirush Ta'agadah Shal Pesach printed in the year 1641. So he's before the Mishnah's Chassidim. He's Italian through and through. And he brings the same Nusach. He actually offers a little bit of a different explanation. He says the first one is, If Hashem would have brought us into Eretz Yisrael and wouldn't have given us the base Hamikdash for Karbanes, Dayenu. If he would have given us the base Hamikdash for Karbanes, but wouldn't have given us the Kodesh HaKadoshim, also Dayenu. What's the difference? So he says, uh, the, the first one, Karbanis, is Kapara. The second one is, Kodesh HaKadoshim is God dwelling within us. And so, and, and, and that's remained with us till today. We, have no, we don't have Karbanis anymore today. So if you say, where is your Mizbeach today in Yerushalayim? There is none. If I say, where is your Kodesh HaKadoshim today? You have an answer. Why? He says, a Kodesh Ravi. Because there are sources that say, the Shechina is, is, is present by the Kodesh Ravi. So in that sense, that's an added gift of not only a Karbanis based on but also of and this is his uh, beer that Rabbi Eliezer Nachman Fowa says and he concludes by saying so I'm bringing just one additional source there are others as well all from Italy that have this extra source and so therefore the, the, the hypothesis that the Rebbe presents over here is actually uh, very well grounded okay now so we need to understand uh, <clears throat> which Haggadah the Rebbe is referring to here so let's talk for a minute about printing, just to put what we're going to talk about in the context of the history of printing and Jewish printing. The Gutenberg, Johannes Gutenberg, printed his, uh, his uh, 
German uh, edition of the Bible, or it was a Latin edition of the Bible, I'm not sure, in the year 1455. This is considered the, the invention of the printing press, at least in the Western world. The first few years, we don't see uh, any printing of Jewish books. However, 15, by 15 years later, 15 years later, in Italy, we see the printing of Jewish books. The problem is these don't have dates. There are eight svarim that are known to have been printed around the year 1470, 1471, 1472. None of them have colophons, none of them have a, a, an exact date on it. But there's a whole scholarship that goes into the study of fonts and the study of paper, and they're able to track and trace these things. Jews were not allowed to print in Germany, which is why they didn't get involved there. But in Italy, it looks like Jews were allowed to get involved, and we have Svarim that were printed from around that time. The first Sefer that has a date on it is, uh, we actually showed it in a previous class here, there's a Rashi that was printed in Italy in 1475, and it has a colophon, and so it has a date, and we know exactly that where it was printed in Reggio de Calabria in Italy, 1475, and there's a few pages of this in the Rebbe's library. When it comes to the Agados Pesach, so it works as follows. Today, the assumption is that the first Haggadah, I think I mentioned this last week, the first Haggadah, that we know, there are things we don't know, the first Haggadah that we know was printed in 1482 in Spain. Now, we have to be careful here. There is no colophon on this Haggadah. So again, it's guessed based on the fonts and based on paper, and I, I'm, I don't know enough to be able to weigh in on, on whether this is a good guess, not such a good guess, or whatever, but this is the assumption. However, this Haggadah was unknown for many, many, many years that it exists. I believe there's one copy in the world in the National Library in Israel. They printed a facsimile of this in 1961. Before 1960s, maybe the 50s, there is no talk of this. It was unknown. The Rebbe is clearly not referring to that Agada. In fact, if you look at that Agada, he does not have an extra uh, stanza of, uh, of Ilu Oitzianu. The order of the questions, actually, in that Agada is with the Matbilin question first, but the, there is no extra stanza of Dayenu over there. But anyway, the Rebbe says Sansino and, Fort, and, 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 and uh, Italy, and talking about Italy, this is Spain, that's a whole other thing. Again, was unknown in the 1946 when the Rebbe was making this Haggadah, that was completely unknown, so let's move away from that particular Haggadah. So that brings us to two other known Haggadahs, both printed by Sansino in the 1480s in Italy. So first, let's look at this page over here. This page over here, have it? Have this? Okay, so this page here you see is the beginning of the Haggadah. You see Heilach Ma'anya. You look at the Manishtana over here. What's the first question? The first question is Chametz and Matzah. So the Rebbe can't be referring to this uh, one. Okay, you look on the left hand side, there is the Dayenus, right? There's one. There is no two Dayenus uh, for a Beis HaMikdash and a Beis HaBchira or anything of the sort. So obviously the two things that we've been looking for are not present in this Haggadah. So we know that it's not this. But let me tell you what this is. In the JTS library here in New York, you have a Siddur. The Siddur was printed by Sansino and the Siddur has a colophon. The colophon I put on the bottom of the page, right under 
the images here. So it says like this, Uvechein or Vechan, Nishlama, Melechas HaKodesh, the early printers, when they would write their work, they would always call it Melechas HaKodesh, they saw it as holy work. Tfilas Yachid, that was the Siddur. Hanuhuga Libne Amenu Ka'al Kodesh Roma, they made a Siddur for the Roman Jewish community. Vahoisa Ashlamas Chakikosam, the end of the Chakika, the carving, that was the way they referred to printing in those years. Pois Sansin, here in Sansino. Shne Yomim L'Chodesh Ir, Beis Ir, Shnas Masayim. Vishisha Varaboim La Elef Hashlishi, that is the year uh, 5000 uh, Hey Reish Mem Vav, which corresponds to 1486. This is the caliphate uh, of this Siddur. Now, as follows This Siddur does not have a Haggadah Pesach in it. However, this copy in New York, in the JTS library, has at the end a Haggadah smacked on after the caliphate. A caliphate usually is going to be at the end of the book. At the end, after the caliphate, all of a sudden it's Haggadah Pesach. So they look at the binding and it looks like that it was added later. They don't, it could be Mamish in that generation, but it doesn't look like it was part of the original binding. However, the page sizes are exactly the same. The fonts are exactly the same. And so therefore it stands to reason that it was printed by Sansino around that time. So when people refer to this Haggadah, they refer to it as the Sansino Haggadah from 1486, because the Siddur is from the year Heireish Memvav, and so therefore if the Siddur was from Heireish Memvav, it stands to reason that the Haggadah, that seems so similar, is also from that year. But again, this, the Rebbe is not referring to this, because first of all, I don't even know if this was known in 1946, when uh, the Rebbe was working on his Haggadah. But secondly, it doesn't have the girsis that Rebbe uh, is referring to. And, um, and so clearly we can move this away and we know that it's not this particular Haggadah, even though it's possible that this is going to have been printed before the next one that we're going to talk about. Now go to this page over here. This page over here. You see where it says, Hey, Lach Ma'anya? So the first thing I want you to notice the first thing I want you to notice here is the hay, the artwork for the hay aleph is the same artwork as here. Okay? It's the same uh, woodcut design for the hay and the aleph. So uh, that's good, but we're going to see here, this was printed by the same print house. So it makes sense that they would use the same technologies and the same things. So if you look at the Manashtana over here, here you're able to see clearly on the right hand side, what's the first question? Ein anu metablin afilu pam achas. Then comes the question of chametz and matzah. That's number one. Number two, if you go to the left-hand side, you look at the ilu hoitzianus. Look at the last two. The last two are ilu ichnesano leretz yisrael v'loy vana lanu as beis hamikdash dayenu. And the next one is ilu vana lanu as beis hamikdash v'loy vana lanu as beis habchira dayenu. Boom. So we nailed it. We found it. This is the one that the Rebbe is referring to. So now let's learn about this. When was this produced? So now go to the next page. Go to the next page. This one. Everyone has this page? Yep. Okay, go to the top image. The top image here is as follows. This Haggadah comes from a huge two-volume machzer that was called Machzer Reuma that was printed as the first printing of a very famous book that was printed many times. That's the tefillahs for a whole year, machzer, a cycle, the cycle of the whole year. And in volume one, they have Haggadah Shal Pesach. At the end of volume two, they have a colophon. You can read the colophon. I typed out the words, uh, the relevant, relevant words right under it. We started this book, Al Yadenu, us, Bnei Sansin, the children of uh, Sansin, meaning the 
to mean two things. Uh, no, that, the, from the Sansino family, meaning the, their father. Ba'ir uh, Sansin in the city of Sansino. Bechaydesh Tishrei in the month of Tishrei Shnas Reish Memvav La'elaf Hashishi. Okay, so they started in Tishrei in the year Reish Memvav, which means if you want to be exact, they actually started in the year 1485. So all of a sudden now we're maybe getting a little bit of a solution to our 1485 problem. Continue. Vishlam Nuhupoi, and we finished it here in a different place. Kazal Miyuri, another city in Italy. Bisheni Bishabis on a Monday. Besingayin Lechaydish Elul at the 20th of Elul. Shnas Chamesha Salafim Masayin Vishisha Varbayin Lebriyas Oilam. That's the same year. That's Reish Mem Vav. Dahainu, which means it took a Shana Tmima Bekarev. It was ready right before Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, right? Chav Elul. Chav Elul. We have a machzer if you want for the tefillahs. For Rosh Hashanah, because this machzer uh, had the tefillahs Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay. It took a full year to work on this. It started in the year 1485. It ended in the year Reish Memfav. So now we understand what the Rebbe is referring to. The Rebbe is referring to the second time he says it's from a machzer. And he calls it Reish Memfav. That's accurate. He also, the first time, says Sansino 1485. That's also accurate, theoretically, because the printing started in 1485. But that only kicks the can down the road in terms of asking the question. Why in the world would the Rebbe, the first time, refer to, read the Caliphate, and then see that, oh, the Cheshman comes out to 1485, and so therefore write 1485, and then the other time, write, write Hedesh, what's going on here? It still just doesn't make sense, it's bizarre. So you need to ask yourself another question. Did the Rebbe have access to this Machzer So what's interesting is this is in Canabula. This is a very, very priceless item. It was printed in 1486. Anything printed before 1501 is very, very valuable. What's interesting is usually in Canabula, how many editions come down to us today? One, two, three, four copies, very few. This one, for whatever reason, there's like 40 of them around in the world. Which is a, so a lot of them exist. Okay. That said, I don't think the Rebbe had access to this uh, one. It's not here in the library. They don't have a, a copy to this. Okay, but this, nonetheless, was well-known. Why was it well-known? Because in 1923, in Germany, there was someone who said, hey, why don't we make a facsimile of the first printed Haggadah? And he knew this Machzer, this Machzer was famous, and so he took just the pages of this Haggadah, he published a facsimile of it, gave it a title page, published it, and the world knew, now you could get a copy of the first Haggadah. Look at the, the Hebrew title page, let's read it. Facsimile Azu. Mitfus Rishin Shal Agadala Pesach, or the first printing of the Agadala Pesach, and it comes from Mitoich Machser Sansin Reish Mem Vav, the year Reish Mem Vav. And now it tells you who made it and where it was printed, and there was 400 copies that were made available. Okay, and, and then it says the printer, Berlin, Tofresh Pe Gimel, 1923. The Rebbe's library today, there's a copy of this facsimile, and that's where I got this image from. I got it from there. Okay. So I had a feeling that you're going to come to the solution 1485 from this facsimile as well. Why? On one side, there's a Hebrew title page. Now look at the German title page on the other side. So I don't read German, so I don't know everything that it says over here, but it's something like this facsimile of the first druk of the Pesach Haggadah from the Machser Sansino, 1485. Why did they write here 1485? Because they want to sell more copies. 1485 sounds better than 1486. Technically, you could squeeze in 1485 because the printing started. How do you, what's Koivea? The start date or the end date? So there's no rules, so you can decide whatever you want. So they decided that they're going to write. In Hebrew, you can't do it. Because they talk a start in Reish Memvav. You can't play games. In English, you could play games. In German, you could play games. And so to 
up the price and the value of it, they wrote 1485, and this is the other, uh, the other title page. So now I understand that Rebbe didn't create 1485, it's not like he made a cheshbin about when it was, he took, drew 1485 from the German title page, and he took the Heidesh Manvav from the Hebrew title page, which therefore the question is, why here did he do it this way, and here did he do it that way, and I don't have an answer for you, that's why I told you, don't get too excited, I'm going to have the key and the solution to this problem, because I don't, and this is where the question remains, it's very odd, and, even, and the Rebbe left it that way. And here you have Sansino, 1485. Here you have Machser, Heireish, Memvav. I'm, I'm looking for someone to enlighten me. Uh, it's a, it's a, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a, fine. You could do it either way. Chveisnish. Adkan, Benegeyad, identifying which Haggadah this is. Okay. Now, there is a third mention of the first Haggadah, and I want to show you this as well. Before we get there, I need to show you that the Rebbe came back to this issue about the Dayenus and the number of the Dayenus, the Rebbe came back to this many, many years later. The story that happened is as follows. In 1986, there was a Yid in Yerushalayim, his name was Rabbi Yosef Parush, and he published a new edition just of the Haggadah with the commentary of Rabbi Shapsi of Rashkov. Okay, which means that when it came to the Dayenu, what's Rabbi Shapsi of Rashkov going to say? There's 15 Dayenus. When in reality, in all the Nuschais, including in that Nusach, there's only 14. So the, this Rabbi Yosef Parosh wrote the Tzarechion. This makes no sense. We only have Yudalit Pamim Dayenu. Then he wrote as follows. See the Haggadah Shal Pesach, Likutei Tamim and Hagim from the Rebbe of Lubavitch Shlita, who brings another Girsa. Who brings another Girsa that maybe you need to add a clause. In other words, what's he trying to say? Maybe the solution to the Pshapsi Rashkov problem is to, is, to, is to do something that's, that's very difficult to suggest. And that is to say that Reb Shapsi Rashkov was writing Aliba to Anusach that Reb Shapsi Rashkov maybe probably wasn't aware of and definitely didn't use, but maybe that's a solution because the Rebbe of Lubavitch wrote in his Agada that you have another one. Okay, he sent a copy of this into the Rebbe and the publisher also sent a copy. So today there's two copies of this in, uh, in the library. It looks like Behemshech Lazar the Rebbe wrote a note. No one as of now that I was able to know knows why he wrote the note, to whom he wrote the note, was it delivered to someone, but there is a note that was found with the Rebbe's handwriting. And the note with the Rebbe's handwriting, clearly the Rebbe was not happy with this comment that was put into the Haggadah of Rebbe Shapsi Yeroshkov, saying that the solution to his problem is what? That, oh, there's another Girsa. You understand the problem with that. You can't say that. You can't say that he's working with a different Girsa. So what did the Rebbe write on this note? The Rebbe wrote like this. Look what the Rebbe does here. There's 15 toivists. When we say 15 dayenus, we mean 15 toivists. It's the same thing. Don't, don't, don't nickel and dime me over here that there's only 14 dayenus. The dayenus is the name of the song that has 15 miles and the story. And what is the 15 one? It's Banolano, it's Beis Abkhira, building the Beis Hamikdash. And that's the main one, because that's Lachapar Al-Kol And that's the answer. You want to know why Shapsi Rashkov wrote 15 dayenus? Because there's 15 miles, and that's what dayenu is all about. It's all about 15 miles and the story. And the Rebbe says, yes, and the Rebbe and the Haggadah said that to say that that is the meaning it's a doichik. Correct. The Rebbe said, and therefore, the Rebbe ended off and said that for Shabsi Rashkaver, Tzarechion. Now look, goes further. Look what the Rebbe continued writing in the note. Hagirsa Shehiskarti. This additional girsa that I wrote, that is another stanza too about the base Hamikdash that equals 15. Hulichiduda. Hiduda. 
This in rabbinic language is when the Tanoim would say something wrong, but sharp. In other words, it has educational value for me or for the students, but it's not true, then I'll write it. The Rebbe is using here that language, Lichiduda, that's not the real answer. Kipashot, obviously. Obviously. Okay, I, I'm struggling with this. I struggle with this. Because in the Haggadah, the Rebbe wrote that it's a huge doichik to, um, tz, excuse me, in the Haggadah, the Rebbe wrote, Tzarech Ion on Shabsi Rashkiver. When you write Tzarech Ion on Shabsi Rashkiver, you write that that's Lichiduda. To take, a, to take a rabbi and write Tzarech Ion about him, that's not, that, that doesn't. And the Rebbe brought this answer in the Haggadah, said it's a doichik, and now the Rebbe is saying it's the main answer. So I don't know, that's number one. But number two, it is possible, you have to remember the context, that's why checking up this volume today in the Rebbe's library was so important. They tried suggesting the extra girsa into Shabsi Rashkever. That's a huge doichik. You can't suggest that he had that extra girsa. Maybe, I'm just saying maybe, and what I'm saying now is also a little doichik. Maybe what the Rebbe means is, the girsa that I mentioned, for you to s- slip that into Shabsi Rashkever, that you could only do lichiduda kipashut. But you can't do that as a real thing. For the Mishnah's chsedim, it's a real beer, it's a real answer. It's not a doichik, that's a geshmaka answer. But for Shabsi Rashkever, that's taka doichik. Um, you, you, and if you want to say it, it's, 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 it's lichiduda only. And the better answer to say for Shabsi Rashkever is to say when he said 15 dayenus, he meant 15, 15 milas. And that's, the, that's, I think, the, maybe perhaps what the kavan is. Okay, before we go to the third, so that's just an interesting take two to this whole thing. Bef- to close out on dayenu, I just want to share a word that the Rebbe said, the Fabrengen of Leo Beis, the Chag Pesach, Tovshin Tezayin. A very interesting minute Chaban has, where we do not pause between the Dayenus. The Velt has a song, Dai Dayenu. And so if you sing it between every few clauses, so then you're pausing. And it says, the Rebbe writes on this Haggadah, Ein mafsikin ba'amires ha'arba esre dayenu. The Rebbe was careful to write the word ha'arba esre dayenu, because only 14, right? But ein mafsikin, we don't stop. We don't make a hefsik. Why? What's the significance of that? What is it? So the Rebbe explained that, what's Dayenu? Dayenu is genug. So you're saying genug, it's a, it's a nice thing, because you're recognizing, if I only had this, it's a nice thing. So you need to recognize the achievements. You need to recognize the blessings that Hashem gave you. So in that sense, saying dayenu is a very, very good thing. However, saying dayenu could also be a terrible thing. In the sense like, I'm good, I'm enough, I achieved this, now let's sing about it. Die, dayenu, die, dayenu. That, that, that resembles not only gratitude and acceptance and realizing what you accomplished, but it, 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 that resembles, that singing, that ay, 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 it signifies uh, satisfaction and being stationary where you are. That we don't want to do. You say dayenu, you move on right away to the next, uh, the next one. This is the significance of this then avoida. When you were in Misraim, you just got out. You're like, what do you mean? I accomplished this Misraim, it's good enough. You can't stop here. Say dayenu, but move on. You need to go weiter. Okay, now let's close out with the third instance where the Rebbe uses third, the, this first edition of the Haggadah. I should note, by the way, I didn't mention this before. I should note that this is the first edition of the Haggadah that has a date, that has a colophon. That's really, really important. The other one may have been printed before, this one, the JTS one may have been printed before, but maybe after, we don't know. And the one from Spain, again, it's great, but we don't have a date. This is the oldest dated Haggadah Shal Pesach. Okay, 
So the third time that Rebbe uh, refers to this, Haggadah Shopei, dated in terms of print. The third time is on the question of the Chacham. It's a very, very well-known problem when it comes to the Shaila of the Chacham and the Rasha. How do we know the Rasha is a Rasha in his question? It's because he says, You, he excludes himself. What's the problem? Go to the question of the Chacham, and the language of the question is, You guys! So you have the same problem. So the Rebbe addresses this, and he says, What's the answer? Eschem means, What we mean is, what did Hashem command you, in the sense that He commanded you, because you went out of Mitzrayim, so you received the Torah, so you heard it directly. I only heard it second person. I didn't hear it directly. That what Esch, that's what Eschem means. It happened to you, and you heard the command. Good. It can't be that He means, commanded you and not me. Because what does he say right before the word Eschem? Our God. So if it's our God, see, he's including himself. So that's how, from Elekeinu we learn that he's the Chacham, that he's including himself. Eschem just means, look, I didn't hear it directly. You guys heard it directly. I didn't experience it to you directly. You experience it directly. Who says to read it this way? Who offers this solution? The Machzer Vitri, the Talmud of Rashi. Writing in the ten hundreds, in his sefer, he's the one who tells us that this is the solution to this problem. Good. Then the Rebbe continues, and the Rebbe writes as follows: I want you to know, when you have the Yerushalmi, this drasha about the four sons is in the Yerushalmi, and it's derived from the pesukim, and in the Mechilta also, in Parshas Boy, in the Mechilta also gives a drasha about the four sons. The Rambam, and the Rambam, when he gives his Nusach HaGadah, HaGirsakan, the Girsa is Oisanu, B'makoim Eschem. In other words, you have places where the Chacham is actually saying, Ma'edus v'achokim ha'shar tziva Hashem alekeinu Oisanu. So it's even better. He's saying Oisanu, us. He's not excluding himself on the cloud. Where do you have this? In the Yerushalmi, this is what you have. In the Mechilta, this is what you have. In the Rambam, this is what you have. What's actually interesting is that it's not an all Rambams. The Rebbe says in Rambam, uh, I saw someone here and through another, pl- another few places, when the Rebbe says the Rambam has it this way, the Rambam has it that way, was able to figure out which print of the Rambam the Rebbe was using when he worked on his Haggadah. Because some of the standard prints don't have uh, uh, Oisanu over here. Most of the standard prints don't have Oisanu over here. So that's an interesting thing. That's a, a, side, a side point. Okay. Now, the Rebbe continues. Indeed, if you look at the first printed Haggadah, you're going to find that it says there, Oisanu. So look back over here, that same page. You have Chachamah Oimer, right, like on the right-hand side toward the bottom. It says, Chachamah Oimer, Ma'edus v'achukim v'amishpatim, asher tziva, Hashem, aleikeinu, Oisanu. There you have it right there. Okay? And so, this is the third uh, time that the Rebbe is referring to the first Haggadah that is printed. Okay, but now we have a, a, a problem, we have a question. What's going on over here? You have a Pasuk that says Eschem. You have a Pasuk that says Eschem. So he comes a Yerushalmi, and a Mechilta, and whoever it is, I don't care. First Haggadah, second Haggadah, and they're going to change the Pasuk to Isanu. Why? Because you have a, a Shaila? Because you have a Shaila, so you're changing it to Isanu. What's happening over here? The Rebbe doesn't explain. The Rebbe just says, by the way, there's another girsa. That needs a little unpacking. That you need to tell me what to do with that information. How should I interpret the fact that there's another girsa? So there's two options. There's two options. 
Option number one, which I don't think we would want to say this without having persuasive evidence that the, the Rebbe meant this, is that it's another Zecher Zecher story. In other words, just like you have some places where it says Zecher, some places where it says Zecher, and you get a whole discussion of which one is the right one. And there are other instances, Psuadakos with an Aleph or with a hay, and you can make a list of these types of things. Maybe here we're dealing with another issue. Maybe the Yerushalmi and the Mechilta and the Rambam and the first printing of the Haggadah are representing a no longer accepted Messiah to write the Sefer Torah in a way where it said Aisanu. And maybe that's where the Drasha came from. Look, he says Aisanu, so he's Mamish good. Now he says Alekenu and he says Aisanu, so he's, uh, he's Mamish the opposite of the Rasha. Okay, but then that uh, for whatever reasons, reasons that will never be known, uh, this it was determined to be not the right way to, to write Sifrei Torah. And so instead of writing Aisanu, we wrote Eschem. We kept the Drasha nonetheless because it still works. And so this is, uh, maybe that's what the Rebbe means. It's possible. But like to start introducing this element of like a different way of writing uh, the Sefer Torah is a very difficult thing uh, to do. So perhaps then, perhaps then, what, the, what we mean here is something else. Perhaps what we mean is, the Machzer Vitri just finished telling us that he doesn't mean Eschem, he doesn't mean Eschem. Okay, but it says Eschem. Yeah, when he said Eschem, he was just trying to say, you guys heard it, you guys experienced, but he doesn't mean Eschem Lahoitzi is Hasim and Akla. So in other words, what does he really mean? He really means Aisanu, that's really what he means. If he really means Aisanu, so then when the Mechilta is saying the Drasha, it, instead of quoting the Pasuk exactly, it says what he really means. It says his Machshava rather than his, uh, the Lashon of the Pasuk. So it could be, that's what we're saying over here, that these other girses are, are, are telling us, they're clarifying for us what was on this Chacham's, uh, what was on this Chacham's mind. Machzer Vitri told us, so Menachem Kasher has a, in his Haggadah, he says that he saw a manuscript in the JTS that on the side has this little beer. It says, it's, it's some, some Haggadah say, Oisanu, what I, the Pasuk says, Eschem, yeah, we're not trying to quote the Pasuk here. We're trying to tell you what he really means. And if you want to know what he really means, he means Oisanu. And so this is, uh, and this is why those uh, girses uh, take that approach. There's also, the Machzavitri told us, Eschem means you guys experienced it, you heard it firsthand. I didn't. So there's a Rav, uh, Rabbi Kasher brings this as well, Rabbi David Tzvi Hoffman in Germany before World War II, where he writes that Eschem is, because Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to the Yidden, and he's saying, your children are going to ask you, not me, your children aren't going to ask me, Eschem, you're going to have to deal with this type of question. So it's not part of the quote of the child. Your child is going to say, who's going to have this experience? Eschem, you, I'm not going to have this at all. So I'm not going to have this experience. So that's his knech of how he deals with the word, uh, with the word Eschem. Okay. So this is the third instance where the Rebbe refers to this first printing of the Haggadah. And I want to now conclude on time, early, with, according to Chesidus, huh? Oh, it's the wrong time? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I want to conclude, not early, but in 60 seconds, with a quote from the Rebbe about Eschem according to Chesidus. Why does it say Eschem according to Chesidus? It says as follows. And this is the Pirish, and this is the Kutta Sikhis Gimel. And thus is the Pirish, Chacha Mahu Oimer. The Chacham refers to the Neshama of every Jew. 
The Rebbe explains as follows. All four sons represent all four. Each of us have all four sons within us. Chacham is the way your neshama is in Atzilus. Atzilus <laughs> is complete purity. Neshama shanasata bi tahoyrehi is the way the neshama is in Atzilus. So Chacham Oimer is the way, if you want to know what your soul sounds like in the purest way, in an Atzilus way, that's Chacham Oimer. Listen closely to that passage, Chacham Oimer. You'll hear the echoes of your neshama as it's expressing purity from Chacham Atzilus. What does he say? So this, this, uh, this neshama turns to the guf and he says to the guf as follows. Why? You guys, you, eschem, you have edos, you have chukim, you have mishpatim, three types of mitzvahs. Chukim is where you're subservient, you put your mind aside. Edos is where you understand it a little, you wouldn't have invented it on your own. Mishpatim is, you get it. So your level of appreciation for all these mitzvahs is different. Here you're more passionate, here you're less passionate, here you enjoy more, here you enjoy less. All of this is eschem. This is not Aysanu, this is all Eschem. Why? Mitzad, me? I don't need Eidos, I don't need Chukim, I don't need Mishpat. To me, it's all one thing. I connect with God. That's what a mitzvah is. Complete pittle to the Eibishter. I get what I need. So why do you need Eidos, Chukim, Mishpatim, different levels, different types of appreciations? Why do you need this? Mitzad uns, mitzad the sheresh and the is the key of my mitzvahs and asacha hecher and oifin. Because we do it in a way of ma. Maha Eidos, right? Amma. You're Eidos Chukim Mishpatim. I do Bittel. Bittel B'Mitzis. And then what do we answer? The Rebbe explains at length. I'm not going to go into the whole thing at length. That no. As much as an Hashem has this higher way of doing it, where it's Eschem, you, I'm better, I do it different, I'm Chacham, I'm Bittel, I'm Tahoyrehi, to me, I don't need mitzvahs to resonate or whatever it is, I'm just all in. No. We also need the other, we need the body. And the body has its own agendas and it has things it appreciates more and it has things it appreciates less. And that's also important. And we need the merger of two in order for Hashem to get what He wants from us. Akopani. Akashan of Pesach.